0: Welcome to Leaders and Legends of Online Learning, a podcast dedicated to the experts. Thank you for listening. Each episode will be learning from the world's leading thinkers and practitioners in online learning and linking to ideas relevant to online teaching, working with online learners and digital education. You can listen to the experts and check their profiles and link to some of their work on our website, www.onlinelearninglegends.com. I'm Mark Nichols, the interviewer in this episode. You'll meet Dr. Laura Gibbs in this episode. Laura is an enthusiastic teacher using asynchronous online education, formerly with Oklahoma University. Her work in ungrading and micro-writing are examples of her practice that have benefited many online learners and that are immediately transferable. Just a quick note before we get started. Laura's internet connection during this interview was, well, not the best. She was gracious enough, though, to send through some of her responses by MP3, so you'll notice some changes in quality throughout this episode. I'm talking with Dr. Laura Gibbs, now retired from Oklahoma University. Laura holds a PhD in Comparative Literature from the University of California, Barclay, and a Masters of Philosophy from Oxford University, and she started teaching online courses for the University of Oklahoma way back in 2002. Among her innovative teaching practices are ungrading and micro-writing. Laura, it's great to be talking with you.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Can we start with a brief overview of your career in online teaching?
1: Well, I think something that I always like to emphasize is the program that I taught for at my college, the College of Arts and Sciences, which is part of the University of Oklahoma, was originally created by a very visionary dean in that college way back in 2002, as you said and the way he saw online education at that time was that it was a way to provide access to students, uh, the currently enrolled students at the university who were having trouble getting into the classes they needed to graduate. And so his vision was that we could offer classes Fully asynchronously. I don't think we even used that word at that time, but that's what we were doing was fully asynchronous classes without any scheduled meeting times and without any exams on campus so that students who were uh, busy with internships, jobs, juggling all kinds of things in their lives would still be able to get the gen ed classes they needed So that's the program I taught for for my entire online career was a general education program for students who were not full-time online students, but rather full-time students at the University of Oklahoma who needed some online classes. Um, I taught a, a variety of courses, but we sort of settled into the classes that were in highest demand for the students. And so one was a course in mythology and folklore, which satisfied a Uh, Western Civ type of requirement. And then the other one was the epics of ancient India, the Ramayana and the Mahabharata, which satisfied what they called at that time's kind of depressing a non-Western requirement. (laughs) And so I taught those classes um, uh, for many years, same classes, but they kept evolving.
0: Mm. It looks as though you've had quite a bit of fun learning um, how to teach very well asynchronously. And it it sounds as though from ungrading and micro writing that there are various techniques that you've learned over the years. Can you tell us a bit about those and where they came from?
1: Right. The the most important thing for me was to create opportunities for, for sharing and connecting online. And right from the start, I didn't find the LMS very congenial for that. We were using Blackboard. Uh, When I first got started teaching online and the discussion board was just kind of stifling, it wasn't fun the way I knew online discussion boards could be even back then. And then I had also started blogging and I realized, whoa, now this is great, you know, because blogging is a way to do all kinds of writing and include multimedia and then you can have comments together with the writing. And so I really settled on blogging and also websites as ways for students to connect and share through the blogs and then also websites so that they could uh, publish their final work online in a way that would reach uh, a broader audience. Uh, you know, online and also importantly, to reach future students in the classes. So over the years, that collection of student websites uh, was probably my most valuable resource because on the first day of each semester, I could say, hey, you guys, look at all these projects people have done for this class in the past. And Mm -hmm. it was soon an archive of hundreds of projects. So that was inspiring. Answered all kinds of questions that the students had about what we'd be doing in the class. And, and it was just cool. That's what the Internet is for. And even now, all these years later, most of the students in my classes had not published a website of their own before. Uh, so I was always glad to show them easy ways to do that.
0: Mm, excellent. So tell us a bit about ungrading and micro writing.
1: Well, about online grading. Since my students were doing a lot of writing and I was asking them to write a lot at at their blogs, publishing these websites, I realized that I didn't need to put grades on their work, I just needed them to do the work. And the system I came up with, with the help of some students, was something that worked so well. It's something we called declarations. Which is that when a student would complete a writing assignment, writing a story, leaving comments on someone's blog, publishing revisions to their webpage, whatever it might be, they would go into the LMS and I would have set up some some quizzes with very simple true-false questions in the quizzes. And a question would be something like, did you write a story at your blog this week? And it would have all the the basic requirements for the assignment, the word length, bibliography, etc. The student would answer true to that question in the quiz, that's the correct answer. And so they would get the points right there in the gradebook. I didn't have to do anything. They had a record of the work they had completed. I could see the work they had completed there in the gradebook and they felt really in control of their grade. It's a, a labor-based uh, approach to ungrading as we would call it now. Well, over time, I met other people like Jesse Stommel who were developing other kinds of approaches to ungrading and ungrading has really become a kind of movement now I think it's especially appropriate to online environments where, like I said, what you need to do is get the students to show up and and participate in the learning activities that you've created for them, having faith, you know, that those learning activities are going to lead to learning. And that's what ungrading was all about for me. And so I was really proud that I had a very simple solution that people could use in different LMSs either for some assignments in their classes or for all the assignments in their classes. And in my case, I put no grades on any writing. I use that system for, for all the work in the class.
0: Great, and, and how about micro writing? It sounds as though the two went um, hand in hand.
1: Well, like I said, I wish I had figured out micro writing earlier. My students did not do really long form writing in the sense that it was stories that were usually between 300 and 1,000 words long. And they would write those each week and revise them and read each other's stories. And then at the end of the semester, they would come up with a a website that reflected their best work. Um, So in the end, they had a long written product, but it evolved iteratively um, in those smaller segments. But then through a series of circumstances, just a few years ago, I learned about not just flash fiction, which would be those stories that are a thousand words or under, but what is called microfiction or micro writing. And we started writing stories that were just a hundred words long maximum. And that was so much fun for me. I loved it as a style of writing. And it really appealed to the students too. So students who had been maybe not as enthusiastic about the writing, they found that they could do this and do it well. And then students who could write long pieces already and feel confident about that, they enjoyed this new kind of writing challenge because it was something they had never done before. And then it also had this added benefit that because 100 words fit so nicely on a printed page without spilling over, it was really easy for me to start making books of my students' writing in addition to the websites that they had always published. Oh. So, my last year of teaching was in a lot of ways, I think the best year I had because we each semester, fall and spring, published a book of stories and the students were excited about it too.
0: Mm, excellent. So, Laura, you've you've obviously learned a lot about asynchronous teaching over the 20-year period up to now. Although I know you've you've been retired for for a small amount of time. What are some of the ideas and themes for online learning your work provides? What what would you pass on to new teachers about to start the asynchronous online journey?
1: Well, the the most important thing I would say is is not so much to teachers, but to administrators to please support asynchronous online learning. One of the reasons I retired early was because during the pandemic, my school, like some others, switched classes online because campus was closed. Mm -hmm. But they insisted on synchronous classes through Zoom, not even really using the LMS and and I was just staggered by that. I really was because for all kinds of reasons, I'm a fan of asynchronous teaching. If you're worried about that getting started, my main advice is don't be worried. The whole point of asynchronous is opens up all kinds of possibilities that you could just never attempt in your classroom. So set aside trying to reproduce your classroom online as so many people have tried to do with Zoom. Just set that aside and, and allow yourself to imagine completely new things and luckily there there're lots of people who have been teaching asynchronously uh, for a long time in different disciplines using different strategies so go out there and, and just start asking questions and looking at what people have done all my stuff i i always published in the open because um i like sharing what works for me and a lot of things in in one discipline can easily be adapted to another discipline so 100 word writing you know that's great for creative writing but it's also great for for any field learning how to write concisely clearly um and and to be able to revise your work and and do really excellent writing micro writing helps with all of that and that could work in literally any discipline where students are, are doing written work.
0: Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me that you've, you've made a contrast between the synchronous and the asynchronous, because, of course, with um, increasing bandwidth, uh, with more ubiquitous Internet access, Zoom has become almost a default now for online teaching. But there is something about the power of reflection and just the, the whole asynchronous taking your time thing that um, I think really makes a big impact in education. I think you've noticed that, too, through the emergency remote teaching responses uh, with with the pandemic. What else can you tell us about online learning and education as you perceive it at the present time, now that we're early into 2022?
1: Well, the whole reason I started teaching online, and that was literally 20 years ago, was because I was so frustrated by the limitations of the classroom in terms of being able to, to make education really relevant and meaningful in an individual way with students. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, in a classroom, you have a curriculum, people are expected to, to progress through that curriculum at the same time, at the same pace, headed in the same direction. But for me, the internet is about this kind of limitless space for individual opportunity for individual exploration and then connecting and sharing what you learn with others. It's a very different model of education and it immediately seized me when I first discovered the internet as a kind of ideal space for education, absolutely different from a teacher-led classroom. And we're still really at the beginnings of, of what that. Can mean. Um, and I guess that's why I was so discouraged by seeing people try to just reproduce their classrooms with Zoom. If we're going to use audio and video, let's use it to do something other than reproduce the classroom. Let's have students go out and make videos and edit them and share them and do multimedia storytelling, not just, you know, faces in mm-hmm. Zoom as if we were in a classroom.
0: That's really interesting. So you, you see the asynchronous then is potentially more empowering for the learner, providing a more personalized experience if it's designed well, something that the classroom can't normally aspire to, especially in Zoom.
1: Right. And that's true for individual interactions with the instructor. And, and you know, let's say, you know, each student was getting 10, 15, 20 minutes of my time each week. That's actually a lot of time from someone who, You know, has a lot of insight into learning and and is an expert in the resources available. I was able to give them a lot of support and direction that I would never have been able to provide in the group setting of the classroom. And it also creates all kinds of possibilities for students to interact with each other. I worked really hard, as I said, on on running my classes as blog networks that the students were getting a lot of one-on-one interaction with each other, which, once again, is just hard to carve out in that 150 minutes in the classroom
0: classroom. Mm. I'm going to go out on a bit of a limb here, Laura, because a thought sort of occurred to me as you were talking there. It's almost like, to put it really crudely, um, in a synchronous Zoom session, it's almost like the teacher's a dictator. Uh, but in the asynchronous world, there's a lot more democratization. Uh, people or students can actually um, engage with other students. And you're also free to be a bit more uh, engaging with individuals as, as you feel the need to. <laughs> D- despite the crude political analogy, uh, is, is that something that resonates?
1: Oh, it absolutely resonates. And I should tell you how I got started in all of this really before the internet. Hmm. I was part of a a project at UC Berkeley back when I was an undergraduate, so we're talking back in the 1980s, called Democratic Education at Cal, -Cal. Mm DECAL. It's still going. If you look it up online, you can see it there, which were student-organized group-independent study classes for credit. And it was a student-run project run by the Student Union inspired by the work of Dewey and Mm -hmm. Frera, and it really shaped my perceptions of what learning can be and should be. And then when the Internet came along, it was like, oh, here's the technology that we needed for democratic mm. education back in the day. So, yeah, for me, that, that resonates perfectly with both my sense of what the technology can do, but also a philosophy of education behind it.
0: Mm, great. Yeah, Dewey and Freire, that's the two brilliant um, theorists. In fact, it would be great to link uh, to that democratization work and, and the website
1: decal.org but if, if you search you'll find it they've got a website there at berkeley still going strong
0: oh great It'll definitely do that laura tell me about the research you'd most like to see uh, if you were to read the perfect journal article what would it consist of
1: Well, let me tell you what I think is a perfect research study that I got to participate in because I'm not a researcher myself, Mm. but I was so excited that uh, someone at my school, the director of our writing center, was part of a a multi-campus research project called the Meaningful Writing Project. And what they did in that project, it was this kind of ideal qualitative research. They surveyed graduating seniors at three very different university campuses and asked them just a very open-ended question, what was the most meaningful writing experience you had in college? And then they followed up with those students and they followed up with instructors and in the courses where the students had done their most meaningful writing. There's a book that summarizes the results of their research. And to me, that's the kind of research I think is really powerful, that kind of just asking questions. You know, what is the most meaningful writing you've done? What is the best online course that you took? What is the online interaction that, that was most stimulating for you as a student? You know, research that's that's about getting inside people's thoughts, experiences, and feelings and just somehow getting that out into the open. That's the kind of research mm-hmm. I like to read.
0: Excellent. If I was to turn the tables on you then, uh, the best advice you would give online teachers about to start on an asynchronous journey?
1: Well, this may seem kind of strange, but I'm just going to tell people, get on Twitter. You know, I know social media has a lot of downsides. And of course, there's all kinds of stuff goes on at Twitter that is not educational. But the teacher network at Twitter, for example, organized around ungrading, organized around online learning, has just been spectacular. It's a place where you can interact with teachers, elementary school teachers who sometimes have best insights into education, with uh, instructors in your discipline, with instructors in completely different disciplines. I learn new things from teacher Twitter every day, and that I'm not retired from because it's it's really stimulating and exciting. Uh, So it's something I recommend.
0: Great. So plugging into the social networks. And of course, you are the online course lady on Twitter.
1: Exactly. I haven't changed my handle, (laughs) even though I'm not teaching anymore. So I'm still online course lady.
0: (laughs) Brilliant. Well, there are no doubt there will be those who have influenced you uh, about your online teaching practice historically. Can you mention some of those folk whose ideas have been really meaningful for you? Um, Perhaps some that we might also potentially interview as leaders and legends of online learning?
1: Right. Well, one person that, that I'm not sure if you've interviewed her yet or not is Michelle Pekansky-Brock, uh, who's someone I've known for forever online. I think we first connected through our mutual use of uh, Ning, which was a kind of social media platform for educators long ago. Um But she is now heading up a a project in California, working on online course development for the California Community College System, which is one of the largest educational systems in the world, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. So, she's so inspiring, you know, because on an individual level, she's a great teacher and a great colleague, uh, but she's also doing a lot of really important administrative leadership now. So, she is definitely someone I would mention. One of the biggest inspirations for me over the years was something called DS106, Digital Storytelling 106, which was an amazing project that started at the University of Mary Washington. It's happened in classrooms, it's happened online, and it has an ongoing life online. So if you look at the hashtag DS106 at Twitter, you'll still see participants from that experience sharing things they create sharing ideas about how to create things together online and the people who headed that up it was a bunch of people but really a big shout out to uh, alan levine and to jim groom uh, who uh, got that started and provided a lot of inspiration for me as a teacher and i know for a lot of other teachers too
0: That's wonderful. Laura, thank you very much. It's been very enlightening listening to you. Uh, Your your passion for asynchronous learning is uh, one that's been attested to by listeners. You're you're a listener, uh, leader and legend nominee. So uh, thank you very much. It's been great talking with you and thank you for being a a leader of online learning.
1: Thank you for the opportunity to to share my favorites.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Laura. You can learn more about Laura and her work from our website. That concludes this episode. Be sure to go to our website, www.onlinelearninglegends.com to follow up on this episode's guest. You'll also find links to others whose ideas continue to inspire and teach online learning professionals, and you can subscribe to future interviews. If you know of a leader or legend we've not yet talked to, please do drop us a line at onlinelearninglegends at gmail.com.